So as a pastor, you know, obviously uh, leading into this week, really the most important week of, of the year as far as Christianity is concerned, um, I, I tend to think about a little bit more. My, I've got more focus on, you know, what Jesus came for, what the last week of his life looked like. And earlier this week as I was considering this um, event, the healing of Bartimaeus, um, there was a thought that came to my mind um, in this story that there's just some things that God never does. I was kind of amazed as I was thinking about this event, and I was just amazed, like, God, you never do this. You never do this. You never do that. And so I want to share those things with you this morning. It's kind of a different um, angle, I guess, than I normally come, but I want to share with you three things that God never does. We're going to see those things that God never does right here on the text with Bartimaeus. So number one this morning, we see that God is never too busy for people. I want you to consider the moment that this takes place. I want you to consider that Jesus was a real man, 100% man. Jesus was a very real person. He's not some mythological character that Christians believe in. He was a real human being who literally walked here on earth approximately 2,000 years ago. His life is well documented. He was a man. And I want you to consider that Luke tells us a few days later after this when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he, he's about to die the next day, Jesus prays three times. God, if there's any other way to keep this from happening, please don't let this happen to me. It's basically what he says. We see that Jesus dealt with the same emotions you and I would deal with if we knew we were about to die. Consider that in this moment, Jesus is headed towards his own death and he knows it. He's told his disciples, we're going to go to Jerusalem, and there, these things are going to happen to me. So not only are they about to happen, we know they're on his mind. He's like, I'm going to be flogged, I'm going to be mocked, I'm going to be spit upon, I'm going to be killed. He knows these things are about to happen. He's got this mob of people that are surrounding him, and this great crowd is the word that it uses. He has this great crowd of people that are following him, but most of these people are going to be shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, in about five days from now. He knows that. And in the midst of all of that, he has the time to stop everything and help one man. We see that God is Never too busy for people. Look at these words in Mark 10, 49. It is, for me, I have literally cried over these three words before. Mark 10, 49 says, and Jesus stopped. Just let that sink in. Try to get the picture in your head. Just try to picture the event. You've got a mass crowd that's headed this direction. Jesus is headed towards Jerusalem. 
His disciples are scared. It tells us they're afraid. Just picture the atmosphere. It's really a tense place. You got the Pharisees already trying to figure out how they're going to kill Jesus. They've already made up their mind they are going to kill him, but they haven't figured out how just yet. They're talking about it. They're plotting it. They've given up on trying to catch him in a trap because that's not really working very well. So now they're trying to figure out another way to go about maybe getting somebody to falsely accuse him. It's a very tense situation. Jesus is getting ready to die for the sins of the world. I want you to picture all of that. They're walking, and all of a sudden, Jesus comes to a complete stop. It all stops because one man cried out, have mercy on me. And we see that Jesus is never too busy for people. Do you ever feel like, I know I do sometimes, do you ever feel like, why would God care about your little problems? Do you ever feel like, you know, God is handling so much, and, you know, He's the God of the universe, and we've got nations rising up against nations, and wars, and all sorts of big things. Like, why would God care about me? You ever feel that way? I feel that way sometimes. Here's the honest answer to that question. I don't know why. I don't. I just know that he does. I don't understand the heart of God completely. I don't understand the mind of God. His ways are higher than our ways. But I know one thing that repeatedly over and over and over again, Jesus demonstrated he cares about people. Whether it's the woman at the well And Jesus is just sitting with this woman at the well, talking with her about her life. Whether it's Jesus meeting with, say, Nicodemus alone in the cover of night in John chapter 3. Whether it's Jesus coming to Zacchaeus while Zacchaeus is up in a tree and just coming straight to him and calling him by name. Whether it's Jesus here stopping the procession to the cross to speak with Bartimaeus. Over and over and over again, he proved to us he is never too busy for people. This morning, there might be an individual here that you just need to hear that, that God cares about you. You are not too small and too insignificant for God to care about. Jesus literally came to die for people. This is why he would stop it all for a person. This is also important for us as Christians. Because if we're going to be like Jesus, guys, people have to matter most. We can, let me say it this way. For Jesus, people were the agenda. That's why It's not as if Bartimaeus was getting in the way of Jesus' agenda. People were the agenda. People are the agenda. And for us as Christians, when we ever get to the place where our goals and uh, the things that we're trying to accomplish somehow take more importance than people, we've missed the boat, folks. 
if somehow people can get in the way of your agenda, your agenda needs to change. And I've been guilty at times in my own life where it's like we've got goals or we've got, you know, things we're trying to accomplish. And, and God's had to remind me of this, that, son, people are the agenda, not goals, not tasks, not this, not that thing, not the next big thing, not building this, not building that. It's people, it's people, it's people, it's people. And in my notes, I wrote this question. So people are the agenda, then what are some of the things that we can do to implement a people-driven mindset in our Christianity? In other words, how do we keep people first? One of the most important uh, pieces of information or tips or whatever you want to call it that I can give you that's been helpful in my life is that each of us need to start our day praying that God would open up the, the door for us to be an example to some person, someone. So that we begin our day intentionally with the mindset that people are what matters most. God, help me today to be an example. Help me today to shine your light in someone's life. Help me today to be an encourager to somebody. And then I want to expect God to answer that prayer. And so I'm going to spend my day looking for that person, that individual, that somebody that I can hopefully show the love and light of Christ to. Might be somebody I run into at the store. Might be somebody I've run into walking down the road in my neighborhood. Might be somebody in my own, right, my own family or friends. Might be somebody that God brings to my mind that I need to make contact with. But the point that I'm trying to make is, we have to recognize the importance of people because people are what matter to Jesus. We can get lost, and I would even argue um, diverted by the devil himself into trying to somehow reach the masses. Jesus was never real impressed with the masses. In fact, most of the time when big crowds showed up and they started to get large enough, Jesus was like, yeah, I'm getting away from this. Or he would say something that would really challenge the crowd. Before you knew it, the crowd would start dispersing. They're like, well, we don't really like what he just said. Jesus wasn't all about just trying to amass millions of followers. And I think sometimes we lose sight, especially in this culture of social media, where we think being in an influencer we think making a difference for the kingdom means that we need to have millions of followers. I've heard it said before with people that are famous, if that person could just become a Christian, they could influence millions for Jesus. Maybe. And I'm not saying they can't. But I'm telling you something, folks. When we look at this, most of the time it happened, one person at a time. We see that our God, in the midst of all the noise, of all the crowds, of all the commotion, our God was so in tune with the voice of one man who truly wanted help that he stopped it all to just say, bring him to me. So God is never too busy for people. Number two this morning, second thing I see that God never does. God never stops working out His divine plan. What I want you to do as I develop this second point, um, I use the term helicopter view. I want you to try to take a helicopter view 
of this moment. Really important to see the big picture, right? We're going to fly way up in the sky, and we're going to look down at this moment in history. And, and would you agree with me, it doesn't really look like God's in control. Jesus is literally walking to his death. Jesus is surrounded by hatred, people that are breathing out murderous threats. They will eventually carry them out. He's about to be betrayed by his own disciples. He's about to be sold for 30 pieces of silver. It doesn't look like God's in control at all. When you look at what was happening in this week, at this exact moment, it doesn't look like God's in control. But the reality is, He was in divine control the whole time. He was literally working out His divine plan. It was, in fact, Jesus used the term His hour. It was the very reason that Jesus came. Working out his plan. He was working it out in the individual life of Bartimaeus for sure. But not just one life at a time. God was in divine control of all that was happening here. One of the Bible words that we use is the word sovereign. And you know, if you, you hear that term, you might not know what it means. But it's a very important term to define. Because you know one of the things that people misunderstand when we say God is in control? A lot of times people think that means God is doing everything. It's not true. We look at the horrendous uh, school shooting in Nashville last week, right, of this, this Christian school with three children dead and three teachers dead. And you hear me say God's in control, and you think, well, why did God do that? God didn't do that. You need to understand what I mean when I say that God is in control. What I mean is God is sovereign. And if you don't know what sovereign means, that doesn't make any sense. So let me explain it. A sovereign king is a king who has absolute authority to do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants who does not answer to anyone. We're not real familiar with sovereignty in our nation because we have checks and balances, and thank God for that. There's a reason that no man should be sovereign over an entire people because man is, fought, you know, is sinful. But a sovereign king doesn't answer to anybody. He doesn't answer to the vote of Congress. He doesn't answer to the vote of elders. He doesn't answer to the vote of civilians. A sovereign king answers to no one, makes all the laws, all the rules, and does what he chooses as king. And, and a, a king functioning in that, that position is called sovereign. There is nobody that he answers to. That doesn't mean that it is the king who is doing everything. In fact, a sovereign king could say, I'm going to choose you to head this department. And I'm going to choose you to head this department. 
and I'm going to go ahead and make a committee of people who are responsible for answering these questions, and whatever that committee decides, I'm going to go with that. He's sovereign. He can do what he wants. Doesn't mean that he's making all the decisions. Doesn't mean that everything that happens in his kingdom is him pulling puppet strings. But that at the highest level, he answers to no one. He is in control, and he can do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants. That's how God is, folks. God is sovereign. He does not answer to anyone, and he is in control. And in his sovereignty, God has chosen to allow us sinners to exist here on earth for for now. But there will come a time, God's clearly told us, just like he told us Jesus was coming, just like he told us Jesus would die and rise from the dead, just like Jesus did it all, we've been told he's going to come back again. And there will come a time when the earth as we know it will burn with the fervent heat and the elements thereof, it says. It's all going to change. It's all going to be different. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. There will come a time when all those who are not saved, all those who are not born again, all those who are not in Christ Jesus, will forever be separated from God and sent to the place the Bible calls hell. It's going to happen. Until then, in a world where sinners live, people will steal, people will kill, people will murder, people will hate, bad things will happen. doesn't mean God's the one making it happen, but he's still sovereign over it all, and he's still in control. And what we see when we look at the life of Jesus what we see is that not only, not only, you know, were evil men doing evil things, but God was still in control, working out his plan, and the, the irony of it, literally using these people to bring about his plan. The plan of God was that Jesus would die for our sins. That you and I would be set free so that we could have relationship with God. That was the plan. And while these people thought they were bringing an end to God's plan, they were bringing an end to Jesus, they were going to silence him. Little did they know, the whole time, they were actually just helping God work out God's plan. That's how in control God is. In my mind, when I look at this event, one of the pictures that comes to my mind is a chessboard where you've got, you know, an adult chess master playing chess with a three-year-old child. Child's moving pieces. The entire time, the game's in control by someone else. That's really what God was doing here with these people. We see not only was God in control, but that he predicted it. I read it in verses 32 through 34. Look what Jesus told his disciples. Taking the 12 again, pay attention to these words. He began to tell them what was to happen. He predicted it all. Saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over. Now look at the progression of how it's going to happen. He's very specific. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. So there's the progress. He's going to be condemned to death by the chief priests and the scribes. Then 
He's going to be delivered over to the Gentiles, the Romans. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Jesus repeatedly foretold what was going to happen to him. Why? Because he was in control. This is why he could say in John 10, 18, no one takes my life from me. No one takes it. But I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. I'm telling you, folks, it might have looked like things weren't in control. It might have looked like God wasn't in control. It might have looked like Jesus wasn't in control. But he was in control the whole time. Consider what he told his disciples in John 14, 29. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. Jesus told his disciples, listen, in essence, some things are going to happen that are going to make you wonder if I'm really in control at all. Some things are going to happen that are going to make you wonder exactly God's got the power and God's in control and why is all this happening? He said, you just remember that when it does take place, I told you so. I knew exactly what would happen. I am God, and I am in control of it all. And you remember when, when things seem hard and difficult, you remember I never stop working out my divine plan. You know the time that we're in right now, it's not vastly different from this time here. We look around and it's like, is God really in control? With all that's happening, is God really in control? Is, is, is God really sitting on his throne? Is, is God really the God of heaven and earth? Is, is God in control? Yes, he is. You better believe it. God is absolutely in control. Jesus told us exactly what things would look like right before his return. Listen to the things that Jesus predicted. You'll find these in Matthew chapter 24 and Luke chapter 21 if you want to go and read them. I'm just going to kind of bullet point some of them for you. Jesus said that you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. That's about all that we've heard of now for the last hundred years. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. That's an interesting statement. Because generally speaking... Most war took place on a much smaller scale. You didn't really have world wars in this era of time. You had more like civil wars. You had more like uprisings of people trying to change a culture. And every now and then, you'd end up with someone like an Alexander the Great that would want to go and conquer a few nations and expand his territory. But this is different here. Nations rising up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. This, this speaks of the idea of, of world war. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. We are seeing, and it's been happening for a while, but we are seeing this increased hatred towards Christianity. In some places, people are put to death for their faith. Hated by all nations for my 
name's sake. We are seeing it, folks. We are seeing a true hatred for anything that is truly Christian. It's crazy the time that we're living in. Many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. We see this falling away from God and the things of God. False prophets will arise and lead many astray. Because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. It says that lawlessness will be increased. Now, when the Bible speaks of lawlessness, it is generally a reference to the breaking of God's law. The concept of lawlessness is still applies across the board. I mean, and we've seen it. We've seen literally, we've all literally watched buildings burned to the ground over the last couple of years. No, no law, no order. We've seen cities like Portland and Seattle taken over, taken hostage, while news reporters right in front of burning buildings say, it's a mostly peaceful protest. Because lawlessness, I'm telling you, we live in a time of lawlessness, and not and that's physical law I can point to, but I'm telling you, we're living in a time where God's law is just almost entirely spurned. And people celebrate lawlessness. Jesus said these things would happen, folks. See what I'm saying? How we can look at these things and we can be like, well, God's out of control. No, God's in divine control, brothers and sisters. He told us exactly what it would look like before His coming. Doesn't mean God's causing these things, but make no mistake about it. He is sovereign and He is on His throne and there is absolutely never a time that God is not in control. What should our response be to these things? Yeah, one, one other verse I want to mention in Luke 21. Jesus said that in this time, people's hearts would fail them for fear. When I look back at the last Really, 20 years, I would say since 9-11, I have watched a world that has changed vastly from the world I grew up in, a world that is controlled by fear, a world where rules and regulations are based upon fear. I just watched, and I'm not being mean-spirited, and I'm not saying COVID's not real. Listen, my dad died in a hospital during the period of covid and and I, and we couldn't even hardly get into seam. I know that I, I know that it was a bad time, but listen, folks. I just spent three years watching people that are afraid to walk out in their front yard without a mask on their face. People's hearts are failing them because of fear. People are afraid to get on planes. Afraid to live their life, afraid to go to the store, afraid to breathe air, afraid, afraid, afraid. Jesus said this is exactly what it would look like before his return. Tell you one thing, I want to be on his side. 
I don't understand how it all works. I just know this. I know that he's sovereign. I know that he's God. I know that he's demonstrated it over and over and over again. I know the word is proved, God's word has proved itself true over and over and over again. And I know this. I want to know that I'm right with him this morning and I want to be ready for his return. What should our response be? In Luke 21, 28, here's what Jesus said. When these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Jesus said when you look at all of this stuff, it shouldn't make you get discouraged. shouldn't make you put your head down and be, be mopey about it all. Get your head up. He said straighten up and look up. Because your redemption draweth nigh. God is coming back, folks. The Lord is going to return. And when we see it all going on, we should know that our God is sovereign. He's in control. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is never a time that God stops working out His divine plan. And that ought to give those of us that are His all the comfort in the world. The third thing I see this morning that God never does when I look at the healing of Bartimaeus, God never finds a person too broken to be healed. Let's bring our focus back on Bartimaeus. You know something? I love that that's his name. Like, we know his name. It's not that Jesus just had time for him. It's that we know his name. Jesus knows your name. The Bible tells us that God's actually so familiar with this that he even knows the number of hairs on your head. That's a, that's a, 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 a great way. It's a, it's a hyperbole is the word for it where we're using this extreme statement to overstate how well God knows you. Do you realize that you matter that much to God this morning? He knows you. And he knew Bartimaeus. I want you to consider Bartimaeus' situation. Bartimaeus was in a situation that was outside of his control. It's hard enough to be blind no matter what. In any era of time, it would be very difficult to be blind now. But in this era of time... Really, his entire survival depended upon the mercy of everybody around him. It depended upon people being willing to give him money, people being willing to give him stuff for him to sustain life. Even he was a beggar. It depended upon people literally leading him to locations where people would walk by so he could beg. He was just hopelessly um, dependent upon everybody else to fix his situation. There was nothing he could do about it. You know, sometimes we find ourselves in a situation where there's nothing you can do about your circumstance. Sometimes you've even put yourself there. Like the decisions you made put you there, but now that you're there, you're, you can't do nothing about it. You can't do nothing about the consequences you're dealing with. There's nothing you can do. And sometimes you're in that spot because of your own bad choices. But sometimes... It's not even your choices. Sometimes there's nothing that you could have done at all to change anything, and you are still in a situation that just seems 
hopelessly outside of your control. That's exactly where Bartimaeus was. He's blind. He needs a literal miracle. In order to have a normal life, he needs God to do something that only God can do. And he cries out, and God hears his cry and heals the man. And we see that there is nobody God can't heal. God never finds a person too broken to be healed. God never finds a situation that's too messed up for him to fix. Whatever your situation is this morning, you need to understand something. If you've got a heart beating in your chest, you've got breath breathing in these lungs, you need to understand something. It does not matter the circumstance. It is not too late for God to do something with it. God can do anything. Nothing is impossible with God. And there is nobody too broken for God to heal. You know, that matters if you're that person. If you feel like, hey, I've done too much. I've gone too far. I've waited too long. I've screwed it up too big. God, listen, you could never, ever, ever, ever be too broken for God to heal. Jesus repeatedly demonstrates that for us. Maybe it's somebody in your life that you're praying for. This morning, the Holy Spirit needs to just remind you that there's nothing that God cannot do. You keep praying. You keep believing for God to do a work. You keep loving people like God loves people. You keep sharing Jesus with people. There is just nothing that God cannot do. So I want to ask the question, then why doesn't everybody get healed? If God can heal any situation... If God can, if there's, just, if there's nobody too broken for God to, to heal, and that's the case, then why doesn't God heal everybody? Why doesn't God save everybody? Why doesn't God change everybody? I want to repeat something I've already said this morning. I don't actually know all the answers. There's a lot of things about God that we will never fully understand. But I can tell you this. When I look at those that God did heal, there's generally one constant theme. When I look at those lives who were radically changed by God, there's generally one constant theme. And that was that they got to a place, they were willing to do whatever it took to get to Jesus. We don't see Jesus kicking people's doors down, and forcing them to let him change them. You won't ever find one single instance of that anywhere in the Scripture. But in this setting, you got a crowd of people, it's noisy, they're all headed somewhere, there's a bunch of chatter, and all of a sudden Jesus stops, because he heard something. 
amongst all the noise and all the chatter and all the crowd and all the movement, he heard something. He heard the voice of one man who sincerely wanted help. And it changed everything. I look at Bartimaeus and I think about one of the interesting things that uh, is recorded for us. It tells us that he called out once, right? And that they told him to be quiet. And then it says that he called out all the more or louder is what it's insinuating, the same thing. It was as if, picture Bartimaeus being there, it was as if, you know, he calls out. He knows this crowd has to be, you know, has to be the crowd that is following Jesus. He knows kind of what's going on. And so he just kind of shouts out to see if he gets lucky. He yells loud, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He has no idea if Jesus is there. And then somebody says, zip it. Shh. He doesn't have time for you. And it's as if Bartimaeus knew at that moment, that's his chance. This man is close. And now he starts to scream out all the more to make sure that he's heard. And the Bible teaches us, oh yeah, Jesus heard it. You know, that's the one consistent theme I can say about people. You look at Nicodemus, which the Bible teaches us was sort of a secret disciple of Jesus. Nicodemus was there to help with the burial of Christ. Nicodemus, John chapter 3, you know what Nicodemus did? He came to Jesus. He said, I don't understand it all. I just know you can't do the things you do if you aren't with God, so tell me what's going on. Jesus begins to talk to Nicodemus about being born again. The woman with the issue of blood, she thought, I don't really know what he's going to do. All I know is I'm going to go to where he is, I'm going to find him, and I'm going to touch him. That was all that she had. That was it. That was her whole plan was just get to him. I look at my life. I once used to be this drug-addicted, criminal, drug-dealing, just bad person. And I know this is that when God changed my life, there was a certain part of me. I was so sick of where I was. I was so tired of living the way I'd been living. And all I knew was if God was real, I had to get to him. I can tell you that was my heart. And so does God heal everybody? No, he doesn't. Make no mistake about it. There is nobody he can't heal. He has never met a person too broken for him to heal. The question is, are we truly willing to open these hearts of ours to him and say, God, have your way in my life. God, whatever it takes. I don't care what the touch of God does to my life. I just need you to touch me, God. I just need you to heal me. I just need you to take away this bitterness and this anger and this hatred and this frustration and all of it. God, I need you to touch my life. A lot of times people don't get there. They're just not there yet. It's as if we, they want God to do something. They want God to change this person, God to change that person, God to change that person. God, I'll let you change my life by changing all the people I don't like. God says it doesn't work that way. I'm not going to bust down your door to change your life, and I'm not busting down all the other doors of these people in your life to change their life either. But he does stand with arms wide open. 
Jesus stood with arms wide open and said, Hey, any of you that are tired, come to me. I'll give you rest. Any of you that are just sick of trying to work it all out in your own, my yoke's easy. The labor that I call you to is light, and I'll give you rest. When I look at this story, this actual event in history, I'm fascinated as I realize through it all, Jesus had time to stop for one person. There is never a time that God's too busy for people. There's never a time God's too busy for you. Never a time God's too busy for me. When I look at how bad it looked like everything was going, I realized God was still in divine control even then, even then. And God's in divine control now. And when I look at him taking the time to heal this blind man, this beggar, right before the triumphal entry, I'm reminded that God never finds a person too broken to be healed. I'm going to ask our worship team if you guys would come. I want us to sing a few songs of worship. I just want us to be reminded this morning of how good God is. If you're here this morning and you're like me, you really just want to celebrate God for being so good. You want to take some time to worship God and just thank Him that He was never too busy for you. That you were never too broken for Him to heal. I look back at that moment in my life and it's just, just God's honest truth, folks. I had given up on me. I thought that I was too far. So had pretty much everyone else in my life, but I had given up on me. And even when I had given up on me, he had not. I'm telling you, there is never a person too far gone for God to heal. And if you're like me this morning, you might just want to worship Him for that. He's so good. But maybe you're here and you need this day. You need God to do a work in your life today. You need God to, to, to inject hope into your situation. You need the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart and tell you, God's mercy is made new every day. Today's a new day. Whatever you need God to start new in your life, God can do it today. Whatever you need God to do in, in your situation, God can do it today.